0: I would not travel to Russia. I would not travel to China. Those are not places that I plan on going in, in this current atmosphere um, at all. Because when Americans are taken hostage in this way through these criminal justice systems, it's it's usually not because of anything that they did. So, so Brittany Griner was arrested under these drug charges. But most Americans who are arrested in this way, they're arrested for espionage or for plot to overthrow the government. These are totally made up bogus charges that are also incredibly difficult to prove and not the kind of thing that there would be a lot of public evidence for anyway. And so there's plausible deniability anytime that they just want to say, well, that person's a spy. How would you know that they're not? And so the kinds of people who are targeted for espionage charges are the very kinds of people who spend a lot of time in the foreign countries. It's journalists. It's people who work for NGOs. There is a Canadian arrested in China and an espionage charge who worked for the international crisis group. I mean, these are the kinds of people who are in those countries to do their jobs. And just because the regime in that country considers that job to be risky to its survival, it calls those people spies and throws them in jail. Hey
2: everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, This is a single topic podcast, but an incredibly important one. The, uh, The header of this is What Happens Next with Brittany Greiner. And we have two guests for this podcast. First up is Dr. Danny Gilbert. She is a Rosenwald fellow in U.S. foreign policy and international security at the John Sloan Dickey Center for International Understanding at Dartmouth College. She is, in short, an expert on U.S. hostage policy and diplomacy. And we go through pretty much every part right now of Brittany Griner's case. Um... Dr. Gilbert has been on ESPN, C-SPAN, a lot of major places. Um, if you're interested in this coverage, you may have seen her before. But um, she, at least from my perspective, has had the, just the unique ability to explain what is going on in a way that a layperson can understand. So we get into um, sort of what is going on right now behind the scenes at the State Department to why Brittany Greiner... Pleaded guilty and what that meant. And so I think you will find her as interesting as I did. She is followed by TJ Quinn, the longtime investigative reporter for ESPN. He has been on this podcast many times before, including on this subject. And he has been reporting on the Griner case for ESPN and done um, exceptional work. We discuss his reporting, how he translated Griner's trial, which obviously was in Russian, um, how to acquire State Department sources how TJ sees the media coverage of this, he says he's going to continue on this case until, uh, essentially, I guess, until Brittany Griner comes back home. Knock on wood, that's sooner than later. So uh, he's been very, very, uh, I think, important when it comes to U.S. media on, um, on everything that's gone on with Brittany Griner. So first up, Dr. Danny Gilbert, followed by TJ Quinn of ESPN on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm really pleased to be joined by this guest. I, anyone who's listening to this podcast obviously knows it will always traditionally revolve around sports media and sports media guests. Obviously, you heard Joe Buck not too long ago reflect on Vince Scully. But I wanted to do something On Brittany Griner, an entire episode that focuses on her. I think people who listen to this podcast know that when I was at Sports Illustrated, I covered women's college basketball. I covered women's college basketball when Brittany Griner was in Baylor. So um, I have seen her play for years. I interviewed her when she was 19. So this story, it would be of interest to me as an American, but is of particular interest to me given my women's basketball background. Dr. Danny Gilbert is a Rosenwald fellow in U.S. foreign policy and international security at the, ja- at the John Sloan Dickey Center for International Understanding at Dartmouth College. I certainly recommend you follow her on Twitter. If you Google her name, again, Dr. Danny Gilbert, you will see that, in short, she is an expert on U.S. hostage policy and diplomacy. And um, she has been on ESPN and C-SPAN and done just unbelievable, I think, explaining uh, in layperson terms, to a U.S. audience when it comes to Brittany Griner's situation. And really pleased to be joined by Dr. Danny Gilbert. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you.
2: All right. So let's start here. You have said in other interviews that there is significant leverage value for Russia to draw this process out. Those of us who want Brittany Griner home, that's not good news, but I, I appreciate you providing context to this. So if you could sort of explain that, why does the leverage exist where Russia is not necessarily going to be quick for any kind of uh, prisoner swap?
0: Right. So the ball is essentially in the Russians court. They can hold on to Brittany Greiner, Paul Whelan, other Americans they might have in prison for as long as they need to, because they want to make the U.S. government feel desperate, feel pressure to make concessions to bring Americans home. And so they can kind of bide their time and wait for the US government to give them the leverage that they want. And so they're really holding all the cards right now.
2: Having talked to TJ Quinn on this podcast a number of times, having read a lot on the case, it it was very clear that the what what had finally happened, Griner pleading guilty, the sentence coming down, was in many ways pro forma for Russia and that judicial system. From your perspective, Dr. Gilbert, was there anything that happened when it came to the sentencing, when it came to Brittany Griner's statement, when it came to whatever you read about what the judge said? Was there anything surprising about how this played out?
0: There wasn't very much surprising in the court case itself or the sentence for me. What I've learned following this case is that more than 99% of criminal cases in the Russian system end in a guilty verdict. We expected the Russian court to find her guilty and to give her a very long sentence. She was found with 0.7 grams of hash oil, and yet they charged her with international drug smuggling, clearly not something that she was actually doing. And it's really a political process, not a criminal one that she's been going through. There were a couple of slightly surprising moments to me during the court case itself, which is that she had members from her Russian team and the coach of her Russian team testifying on her behalf. They were extremely brave to come out and to speak on her behalf and to, in essence, go against the Russian government in saying what they had to say about her character, about her devotion to her team, to her teammates, to the Russian public in being such a sports star over there. And so that was a surprising moment for me. But as we can see that's not something that the judge really took into consideration. She most certainly has Vladimir Putin breathing down her neck to make sure that Brittany Griner got the guilty verdict and this incredibly long nine-year sentence.
2: You know, I would have asked you this later in the interview, but you brought it up. You brought the percentage up, at least that has been reported through the Russian press of, Mm -hmm. of what the cannabis oil is. And this is something interesting to me. And obviously, as an expert, you can sort of help me process this. One of the most frustrating things for me when I have read commentary, particularly on social media, about Brittany Griner, and I understand when it comes to commentary, you know, uh, I'm um, maybe maybe I'm being played by bots, but the, but a lot of times <laughs> I'm just trying to trying to check when it's sort of people like who you know present their real name mm-hmm. and and you can sort of search and it's like if nothing else, it's a real person. They they sort of offer that Britney Griner deserves her fate, given mm-hmm. that she um, she did this, she committed this crime. So here's what I want to get to you with: Russia is a massively bad actor on the world stage. This is not for argument. They have trumped up charges, and they certainly have trumped up political charges. This is not in dispute. Alexei Navalny is in prison mm-hmm. on BS charges. So maybe Britney Griner brought cannabis oil in. But maybe she did not.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: she is a functional hostage no matter what. From your perspective, th- at least for me, I have seen people are in many ways are taking what the Russian, at least a certain percentage of people have taken what the Russians are saying as pro forma truth, which to me is very, very frustrating in this case. How do you see it?
0: Oh, I am right there with you. I mean, Vladimir Putin is currently engaged in a completely unjust, totally horrifying war in Ukraine. This is not an international actor that we should take seriously. And he's also shown that he has a very high priority of creating division among the American domestic public. And so this is all something that he wants. He wants that kind of confusion. He wants that debate, not somebody we should be taking uh, seriously in, in any sort of capacity. The fact that the public has responded sometimes in this way is also not surprising to me. So in some of my research, I look at public opinion on hostage recovery efforts. And one of the things that comes up time and time again is that When the American public believes that an individual hostage is responsible for putting themselves into danger, then those members of the public are unlikely to support government efforts to bring them home. So a lot of people look at Brittany Griner's case and say, well, she was carrying drugs or what was she doing in Russia in the first place? The willingness to blame her is directly connected to the opposition to any efforts that the White House would make to bring her and Paul Whelan home. And so how the public feels about the deservingness of an individual hostage is a really good predictor of how the public responds to these cases
2: that's uh, that's fascinating a little depressing but also fascinating Mm -hmm. the um how when i when i as a news consumer see sergey lavrov offer any kind of comment on this case and and generally speaking i'm not even sure he's specifically mentioned Brittany griner he 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 usually talks about the public nature that the state department has put this out there Mm -hmm. um do you, how do you evaluate? I, I imagine you obviously have evaluated what Anthony Blinken and what our State Department officials have said. To me, the more interesting thing would be as someone like yourself who's an expert, how have you evaluated at this point what the Russians have said publicly on this?
0: It's been really interesting for me. So I see this whole process as three dimensional chess. There's a lot of strategic interaction here that are really difficult to understand on the surface. So In general, when there's more public attention to one of these cases, we might think that that's pretty good for the Russians because the more attention given to this case, the more pressure put on the White House to make a deal, the more likely that the Biden administration might make concessions that are otherwise really difficult to make because they feel domestic political pressure to do so. And so you would expect that the Russian government would love to see Brittany Griner's name all over the media. They would love to see debates about what the administration should do to bring her home. They would love to see criticism of the administration for what they've done and not done already. So the fact that they're now coming out and saying, keep this quiet, don't let it uh, come out to the public, we shouldn't be having this conversation in public. In some ways, that's surprising to me. And so then I start doing the mental gymnastics of, well, Maybe they do want this quiet. Why would they want this quiet? Or do they have to pretend that they want it quiet? Because at the end of the day, they are pretending that this entire process is a legitimate arrest, that it's a legitimate part of their criminal justice system, that Brittany Greiner and Paul Whelan are criminals, which we know in the United States that they're hostages, that they're being held for political leverage. And so all of it could have so many different sides that it's really difficult for us to evaluate from the outside.
2: We, uh, we now taped this um, in the first week of August, Dr. Gilbert. You know from following the case and following Brittany Griner um, being held hostage there, that initially the Griner camp and certainly the WNBA, which can be very, very vocal when mm-hmm. it comes to issues, made a conscious and strategic decision to have initial silence. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, obviously, that changed when the Griner I'm using the Grinder camp sort of in quotes here, and you can sort of extend however many people are part of that. They made a decision to be more public and to try to get attention. That obviously included getting a letter to uh, the current White House. Mm-hmm. How did you initially view um, the decision by people in and around Brittany Griner to not make this very loud and public at the start?
0: To me it makes a lot of sense to stay quiet at the start. There's always the hope and the slight possibility that the entire thing will be viewed as a mistake that the Russian government might have said, "Oh, this was a misunderstanding. We didn't mean to do this. She's released. She's freed." Um and that gives Vladimir Putin and gives the Russian government the ability to save face so that this didn't turn into an international geopolitical crisis, into a dilemma of of any sorts. And so you keep quiet at the beginning in the hopes that it can just be resolved quietly and easily. Unfortunately, that Rarely is is how it turns out, but you always want to kind of give it that shot just to see um, if it's possible to kind of deescalate and and allow the Russians to save face. Once the administration uh, classified Brittany Greiner as wrongfully detained, that is kind of the point at which the WNBA started speaking out. So wrongfully detained is not just a phrase that that I and others use it is a specific legal designation at the state department the secretary of state looks at the cases of Americans who are arrested abroad and lots of Americans are arrested abroad for breaking laws all the time and in some of those cases the US respects what happens that the american broke a law and that they will go through a criminal justice system and that we trust that they're being treated fairly but in dozens of these cases, the U.S. government doesn't have any faith that the American is being treated fairly. Maybe the U.S. government thinks that that person is being held as a hostage or that they were arrested specifically because they're an American. Or it might just be that we don't trust that that person could be treated fairly within a certain country's criminal justice system, given Russia's discrimination against Black people and against gay people specifically, entirely possible that the United States government feared for Brittany Griner's safety. So once the State Department designated her as wrongfully detained, it changes a lot of factors in her case. It meant that her case is moved out of the purview of the Bureau of Consular Affairs, which essentially just checks in on the welfare of Americans abroad, and into the purview of a different office at the State Department called the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. And that office is essentially the chief diplomats of the U.S. government who work on hostage and wrongful detainee cases. It's essentially our government's chief hostage negotiator. And so once her case was moved there, it was an admission by the United States government that she is being held for political purposes and that the government was going to intervene on her behalf. And at that point, the WNBA saw as their prerogative to raise attention to her case, because then it becomes a specific job of the United States government to put pressure on Russia and to negotiate for her release. And so the timing of when that volume and that attention really changed makes a lot of sense to me.
2: That's that's fascinating. I appreciate the uh, sort of the explanation, even the legal explanation of wrongfully detained and what that sure. means. Um, you have written about this, and I know talked about this. Um, on the topic of public advocacy for mm-hmm. her, you have suggested that her sexuality, uh, Brittany Griner's part of the LGBTQ community, and her race plays a role mm-hmm. here in how, if nothing else, perhaps how much attention Uh, perhaps until this week she was given Mm -hmm. i you know you as someone who's in sports uh it does honestly sort of uh, it does produce a lot of cynicism many times when it comes to things in athletics but i I think at least if you're going to be intellectually honest you have to you have to be open and conceding to the fact that if Brittany griner was white Mm
1: -hmm.
2: was straight Mm -hmm. was a uh like sort of a marketing darling for United States companies, mm-hmm. the attention on this case at a minimum would be greater. Uh, I, you know, there'd be other, I know we've heard, well, what if it was LeBron James or what if it was Tom Brady? I, like, I understand mm-hmm. all that, but like, at least let's live in the sort of the discussion part of this, that like, if it's, if it's a woman of a different race, who is, you know, heterosexual to me, I think, I'm just a realist. I think the story gets played differently. Mm -hmm. How do you
0: see it? So there are a few different factors that shape how much attention these cases get in the media. And with the caveat that right now, Brittany Griner's case is getting a lot of attention and is getting way more attention than any other Americans who are held hostage or wrongfully detained abroad. Over the whole population of Americans who've been through similar situations, there are some real trends that that stick out to us and this also applies to people who are kidnapped or, or held hostage domestically in in other situations. So there's a phenomenon called the missing white woman syndrome that essentially says that female white, often young, pretty victims of abduction get much more attention in the media than uh, women of color or counterparts of other races or of uh, men who are abducted, and so. There's kind of an expectation if you think about the uh, cases that you might know of someone who was kidnapped, you know, JonBenet Ramsey is kind of one of the first ones that that comes to people's mind of this young blonde little girl or, you know, certain cases like that get a lot of outsized attention. Race plays a really big deal here that white uh, hostages get a lot more attention than than victims of color. So I've done some research on what drives media attention to uh, Americans who are kidnapped abroad. And if there's a group of Americans kidnapped together, the white hostages receive far more media attention than people of color who are also kidnapped or taken hostage in the same attack. So even within the the same incident, those people were taken from the same place. They might have had the same job. There's a real difference across the color line there. And this also affects a lot of the other people who are in similar situations, who are held hostage or wrongfully detained abroad. A lot of the Americans who are currently wrongfully detained are dual nationals. A lot of them are... uh, share citizenship with the U.S. and Iran or the U.S. and Venezuela. That's what allows them to travel to these places. They're visiting family or they're conducting business in a place that they're able to travel quite easily. But many American citizens might not see them as white, might not see them as purely American. And that can really affect the amount of sympathy and the amount of media attention that these cases get.
2: I'm not sure you you know the answer to this, but maybe even in broad strokes, you might could you take us inside like like what like who is working on this case specifically? Mm-hmm. Like does it get to the level where like an Anthony Blinken is like literally part of the specific processing of this or are there state department officials like who would be assigned to this? And then if it has to get to the you know high level diplomacy level where Lavrov and Blinken have mm-hmm. to talk, it it eventually gets to there. Like like how who's doing how do I ask this? Who's doing the literal legwork right now as as we tape this?
0: Sure. So there's there's two answers. For you on that there's the the people who are doing the legwork inside the government and the people who are doing legwork outside the government so i'll talk about inside the government first so there's this special office that i mentioned earlier that when someone is named wrongfully detained their case gets transferred to the office the the spiha the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs right now that person is a an incredibly talented thoughtful compassionate uh government servant and public servant named Roger Carstens, and he works around the clock dealing with these cases. He is the first line of contact for the U.S. government on these cases. He visits wrongful de- de- detainees in prison overseas. He spends a lot of time talking to the hostages and detainees, family members, to the press, to public events, to um, other members of the government. And he is the day to day operational person and his staff are supporting him on figuring out how to resolve these cases, how to bring people home and how to deal with everything around it, the policies that the United States government holds, uh, media attention, things like that. But this is one of the issues that's probably very much on Secretary Blinken's agenda right now. And so every day he probably deals with a handful of issues all over the world. And this issue has risen to that level, given that the secretary is speaking about this and that the White House is speaking about this. The President Biden himself has released an executive order about hostage taking and wrongful detention and has written to Brittany Greiner and has made statements about Brittany Greiner. And so there is a whole operational staff whose job it is to focus on this. But it is the kind of thing that is breaking through at the highest levels. Outside the government, there's a whole different crew uh, working on this as well. So Bill Richardson, former UN ambassador, former governor, served a lot of different roles in the U.S. government, is now retired from U.S. government and has a foundation called the Richardson Center. And their primary job is to work on these negotiations all around the world. They negotiate on behalf of people kidnapped by non-state actors, by people held wrongfully by states. They've been working on this for a long time, and they have a tremendous record of success of these really painstaking, high stakes, high value negotiations with some of America's worst adversaries all around the world. And so we've heard that Ambassador Richardson is engaged on Brittany Griner's case and also on Paul Whelan's case that he was planning a trip to Moscow And there's some real benefits to also having this other group of people outside the U.S. government working on the case as well, which is that he might be able to meet with people that the U.S. government might consider unsavory. He might uh, be able to have the kinds of conversations that might be difficult for U.S. diplomats to have at a time that Russia is engaged in this war in Ukraine and that the United States government is trying to keep pressure on Vladimir Putin and They might be able to sit down and brainstorm a whole range of creative responses, creative possibilities in this negotiation that might be a little bit more risky if the US government put those options on the table, but might uh, have more opportunity to explore if it's coming from a private citizen.
2: From your experiences, does someone like Bill Richardson get access in a country like Russia to the? To, to the decision makers who ultimately might make a decision on a prisoner swap?
0: My understanding is yes. I mean, all of this happens behind the scenes. So it's, it's hard for me to know exactly who's in the meeting or or who's at the table. If I may recommend another podcast episode that does a, a really good, good job at this, um, Foreign Policy and Doha Debates put together, uh, Jen Williams is the, the editor, of a wonderful podcast called The Negotiators. And there's an episode with Mickey Bergman, who works very closely with Ambassador Richardson, at the Richardson Center, about the prisoner swap negotiations for an American who was imprisoned wrongfully in Iran. And so you can hear directly from Mickey about what those meetings were like, how those conversations went down, the moment at which they had proposed something, and then the Trump administration swept in and tried to make a slightly different deal. Um, It's a really fascinating conversation, so I'd, I'd highly recommend it.
2: All right, a couple more here, uh, sure. Doctor Gilbert, Then I'll let you go. Um, again, I'm going to ask you. My area of uh, maybe expertise is a little, uh, <laughs> a little too big for for a word for me. Yeah. But let's we'll, we'll use the guideline that my expertise is sports. Here, yours is obviously what it is. From my perspective, I cannot conceive of any scenario in both the near term and medium term where an athlete would ever consider competing Mm -hmm. or playing in Russia Mm -hmm. again. From your perspective, given what, you know, what what your expertise Mm -hmm. is, do you see any possibility an American would travel to Russia, let's say in the next five, uh, an American Mm -hmm. athlete, I should say, would travel to Russia in the next five or 10 years, given what we have now publicly seen when it comes to Brittany Griner?
0: I mean at the end of the day it's it's up to those individual athletes this isn't something that their their leagues can can tell them but I think there's going to be a huge move away from traveling to Russia from participating with Russia in international sports tournaments I mean they take sports quite seriously yeah yeah already. we're seeing it yeah. already um yeah. because of the war in Ukraine and and because of what's happening with Brittany Griner so that would Surprise me if there's not a major shift um, from from what people are willing to do. And that plays into an announcement from the Biden administration a couple of weeks ago that they're working on different policies, that they're essentially trying to prevent this from happening again and to punish our adversaries for engaging in these kinds of practices. So one of the things that the State Department announced a couple of weeks ago is that they're putting a new travel warning. um, They're labeling with the letter D for detention or detainment um, on the list of countries that the U.S. considers to be wrongfully holding American citizens in their prisons right now. So that's Russia, China, Iran, Venezuela, Uh, North Korea, and Burma, Myanmar. Um, So now all of those countries, in addition to the travel warnings that they already had, have this big letter D uh, stuck on their travel information. And so if an American is considering going to one of those places, they are warned in the strictest terms by the United States government, that this is the kind of place where you might have this kind of thing happen to you, and that you should think twice before making that kind of travel plan.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate you giving notice to that. I, I have traveled both to China and Russia. Um, I did for uh, covered the Beijing Olympics for Sports Illustrated. I covered the Sochi Olympics for Sports Illustrated. And I was in Russia in 2008 or so as part of a, uh, a journalism uh, fellowship group. Um, obviously, the climate is very, very mm. different. Given your expertise when it comes to you know, hostage diplomacy and some of the other things you study. Um, Is there anything like the lay person can do who might have to ever travel to these um, countries? Again, I made my sort of statement about I have no idea what Brittany Griner had or did not have in her luggage. But if not, by the way, I don't ever plan to be in any of Mm -hmm. these countries ever again, but if anybody is listening and they, they have to go there for some reason, one of my initial thoughts is, like, do your best to, like, study whatever the the the, the, the laws of that country as yeah. best one can find out mm-hmm. are. Yeah, the local laws. Because, like, um, this was, if nothing else, forgetting about the veracity of the Russians when it comes to Griner's situation, if nothing else, sort of how they treat, ma- you know, marijuana, mm-hmm. medical marijuana, drugs with a capital D – was not something I think I was so aware of in terms of the harshness of this.
0: Yeah. So I've got a couple points, so hopefully I'll remember to to say them all. Um, So the bulk of my research is actually about kidnapping by non-state groups. I spend a lot of time in Colombia. I interview former rebels from the FARC and ELN who fought a civil war against the Colombian government for decades. So I spend a lot of time with people that I think most Americans would be nervous to spend time with. And people always ask me before I go, if I'm worried, you know, about being kidnapped myself or if I'm worried about, about these people and, and not to sound flippant, but, but frankly, I'm not. And I, you know, I'm really try to be as careful as I can about the decisions that I make when I'm traveling and where I interview people and who knows where I am at at all times. But some of these states that are taking Americans hostage through the criminal justice system, that frankly scares me a lot more. I would not travel to Russia. I would not travel to China. Those are not places that I plan on going in in this current atmosphere um, at all. Because when Americans are taken hostage in this way through these criminal justice systems, it is, it's usually... Not because of anything that they did. So so Brittany Griner was arrested under these drug charges. But most Americans who are arrested in this way, they're arrested for espionage or for plot to overthrow the government. These are totally made up bogus charges that are also incredibly difficult to prove, and not the kind of thing that there would be a lot of public evidence for anyway. And so there's plausible deniability anytime that they just want to say, well, that person's a spy, how would you know that they're not? And so the kinds of people who are targeted for espionage charges are the very kinds of people who spend a lot of time in the foreign countries. It's journalists. It's people who work for NGOs. There is a Canadian arrested in China in an espionage charge who worked for the International Crisis Group. I mean, these are the kinds of people who are in those countries to do their jobs. And just because the regime in that country considers that job to be risky to its survival, it calls those people spies and throws them in jail. And so a lot of the people who are traveling to those countries that often already know a lot of the things that they can do to protect themselves when they travel to those countries. Whenever you travel internationally anywhere, you should register with the US embassy abroad where you are. And that way it puts you on their alert system. So if there's you know any kind of political violence, or if there's dangerous weather, um, they can notify you, they know where you are, and they can help you leave the country if you need to, for instance. And so that's something that we should all be doing anytime we leave the country anyway. But it's a really dangerous environment now, especially if our adversaries are looking at this case and the attention that it's getting, and probably, possibly a a prisoner swap and concessions made to Russia, that this is going to be an attractive strategy for them going forward. And so it's incumbent on the U.S. government to do everything it can to prevent these cases from happening and to punish our adversaries, both their reputations on the international stage and through sanctions that the Biden administration is implementing um, so that these countries don't find it attractive going forward.
2: That's great advice. Know where your uh, consulate office is or know where your embassy is if you're in a foreign country, even Mm -hmm. a friendly foreign country, uh, quote unquote, uh, I would say it's just, it's invaluable. That's really good advice. The, uh, so the last one for you, Dr. Gilbert is this, and I'm sort of asking you to, um, you know, do your best to sort of uh, hypothesize what you think. Brittany, Brittany Griner is an obvious, obviously high profile Mm -hmm prisoner in Russia. Um, I know Trevor Reed Mm -hmm. was as well, Paul Whelan, but she sort of fits into that. Is there any possibility, given how high profile she is, that the Russian government would place her in a um, less horrible prison Mm -hmm. than another horrible prison, would give her, I don't even know if preferential treatment is the right word here, but at least sort of um, not risk her getting Mm -hmm. sick, not risk her uh, really being in a bad place. Now, while I ask that question of you, I know the answer to what happened with Trevor Reed. My only sort of thought or caveat is that Trevor Reed was mm-hmm. did have a military background. Um, he's a man. It's, it was a different case. So in this sort of hell that Brittany Griner is in, I do want to hold hope that maybe the, the government doesn't sort of put her in the worst possible place. But then I... Then I sort of tell myself, why am I? Why do I think the Russians would do that? Given they just gave her nine years, so that's I. I, I didn't ask the question elegantly, you. but I wonder if you could just. Uh, yeah, I wonder yeah, how so you sort of see that.
0: I I say this, and I don't mean it to sound callous, because these are incredibly painful, kind of excruciating circumstances. But hostage takers need their hostages to stay alive, and they need them to stay healthy enough that they're going to be worthwhile in a trade. And so when I've spoken to these former kidnappers from Colombia, they talk a lot about the good care that they have to take of of their of their prisoners when they're marching through the jungle and, you know, making sure that they don't get too sick. So it's really important that they keep her value high and so to to some extent that that protects her. The other thing that we know from How the Trevor Reed prisoner swap happened and past prisoners like Alan Gross, who was imprisoned in Cuba, is that sometimes when a hostage or a wrongful detainee is getting very sick and is at risk of dying, that the negotiations suddenly really speed up because... The United States obviously wants to make sure that that person is going to come home and is going to survive their ordeal. And the hostage taker knows that they have to keep them alive to to basically be able to to get a swap in return. So that's one side of it. There's a couple other things that we can extrapolate about her time in prison. So right now she's in prison. She's been sentenced to a labor camp. I mean, these are just excruciating circumstances. But her lawyers are going to appeal her case, most likely. And so as long as the appeal is going on, she stays in prison. Um, And so she'll be in the prison and not into the labor camp, at least until the appeals expire. And then the last thing is I think about the case of Jason Rezayan. Jason is a journalist for the Washington Post. He was the bureau chief in Tehran, in Iran. And he was arrested for espionage and and put into even prison there. And he was held at times in solitary confinement. He had just a a really gruesome ordeal. And he's written a wonderful book about it that, that I highly recommend. And one of the things that he says in that book is that when his case got more attention, he started getting better treatment. So they they gave him a better cell and access to the outdoors and room to walk around. And they bought him new clothes and things like that. And he attributes that to the public attention that his case was getting. And so... It's possible. Sometimes I think that the more attention that these cases get, that the worse that their hostage takers are, are going to treat the prisoners to kind of drive up the leverage and put pressure on the U.S. government. But it very well might go the other way. And we have to remember that Brittany Greiner is quite popular in Russia. She's a star athlete. She brought her Russian team to multiple championships and and victories, and she works really hard for, for the people of Russia. And so if this case is really making its way into the public realm there, that there would be a lot of reasons for them to consider treating her a little bit better uh, for those reasons as well.
2: Dr. Gilbert, I really, really appreciate your expertise here. Dr. Danny Gilbert is a Rosenwald Fellow in U.S. Foreign Policy and International Security at the John Sloan Dickey Center for International Understanding. At Dartmouth College, you can find uh, her work. You can go to certainly her website and find her work there. She's been doing, um, uh, understandably, uh, a lot of media uh, availabilities on uh, you know the ESPNs and C spans and NBCs, etc. Because some, um, uh, as you've heard on this podcast, um, she's really, really an important and insightful voice when it comes to giving some context and perspective on. Brittany Griner, Doctor Gilbert, I can't thank you enough. It's not like you knew me before I reached out to you, but uh, but this was really really educational for me, and I I am sure for our podcast listeners as well. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast.
0: It was a real treat. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Okay, as I mentioned at the top, TJ Quinn has returned to this podcast. He has been on this podcast a lot in the last couple of months. Um, and I thank him for that. I have great interest in the Brittany Griner story, not just because of the, uh, the politics or uh, the national interest, but I think as many people here know, I covered women's basketball for a long time. I covered women's college basketball when Griner was at Baylor. So it's just someone I've known, not known personally, but known of for a long time. I have interviewed her before, certainly a number of times in group settings. And she has always been interesting to me. And then, obviously, we have seen her now in this horrific uh, situation. And I am uh, pleased to be joined, as I introed him at the top, ESPN investigative reporter TJ Quinn, who has uh, who has been covering this Griner story now for months. TJ, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Oh, good to be back, man.
2: All right, TJ, let's um, let's start here. Um, I was really interested in how you reported on the sentencing. And this is a little bit of a process question, but like, I wonder if you can let my listeners know, like, what kind of access did you have? Like, how were you watching it? Were you watching it from like a, like a, um, some kind of European feed? I imagine you don't get Russian television wherever you are. So like, literally, how did you... How did you see these proceedings?
1: Uh, Reuters had a live feed inside the courtroom, um, which was uh, a first. Um, Previously, in in court, they had let reporters in before the judge got there and then kicked them out. Um, This, they actually allowed cameras. So I was watching uh, Reuters live feed and had one of my uh, Russian speaking colleagues Uh, watching from his home and he was updating me with key information as we went along. And then there were a couple of sources um, who I've relied on uh, to reach out to for context as it, as it went on. Um, Although really for the most part, and and it's kind of funny, those, those were the details, right. And we're waiting to hear that. What's the exact sentence, you know, what exactly did the judge say? Um, How is she, how is Brittany Griner going to react? Um, but the rest of it, uh, I mean, my story was written, um, and just needed to be plugged in the people I spoke to their comments were, their opinions didn't change afterward. Everybody knew what was coming. So you just you had everything kind of ready to go. And, uh, cause it was so clear what was going to happen. Um, you knew she was going to get a heavy sentence. Obviously if she didn't, we would have rewritten it, but, um, you know it was uh yeah you were able to sit there and just and and watch her face uh reacting as she's hearing all this from the interpreter
2: were you able to pick up um any external cues from uh again i didn't watch the feed so like were you were you able to see the surroundings like could you was it were cameras on her face during the whole time then the other part i'd be curious about is unless you're a russian speaker like how hard would it have to understand what the judge was reading during the sentence
1: well uh our the 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 shot they had did pan in and out and so sometimes you'd see the defense team sitting at a table and uh a few members of the media i mean what you can see from previous shots is it is a tiny tiny courtroom i mean they are just crammed in there um in fact you know Ironically, Brittany Griner, who's in a literally in a cage um, sitting in there as defendants do, had probably had more room than anybody because of that. Um, you couldn't see the judge. So they never show her. Um, it was a little tough for our our, our my Russian speaking colleague to follow. And he was recording it, want to make sure he got the words right. I mean, he's a native speaker. Um, so yeah and and fact is there were a couple reports from other outlets that were not entirely accurate that that came out based on it um one particular outlet i think said that she pleaded guilty she did that july 7th um so it it can be tough because everyone you know everybody's trying to get get that information out right away and we were trying real hard to make sure no we we a lot can be lost literally in translation here, and we want to be really careful.
2: This, um, as you've said many times, this was the closing of the first chapter, the uh, the sentencing. We pretty much knew what was going to to happen here. In a lot of ways, the sentencing was just a formality. There's now the prospect of an appeals process. I don't know what the percentage of appeals that ever get overturned in Russia. I, I assume they're
1: Infinitesimal, living. yeah
2: yeah right so what happens now like in terms of um in terms of both procedurally for Brittany griner and and again you might i don't know if this information's even been out but do we have any sense as to like literally like where she is physically at the moment
1: uh no i mean she's probably still in jail um there where she's been held until um until she's processed and sent to this, it's essentially like a penal camp, um, which my Russian colleague who did some research uh, said is, is not a particularly pleasant place to be. Um, she's, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it was, you know, a foregone conclusion, but it was clearly a shock to her. And the people I spoke to uh, to uh, to yesterday who are around her said that the word is, yes, she was absolutely devastated by it. But in some ways, I mean, it was kind of, I don't want to be too reductive with this, and, and I don't want this to sound callous or trite. If you're looking at it as a play, right, and, and you suspect there's going to be a good ending in the second act um, when the the two sides reach a deal, which would ultimately bring her home, Um you understand that you have to finish the first act to get to the, sen- to the second act, but the end of the first act was pretty intense. I mean, she's sitting in a jail halfway across the world, hasn't spoken to family or seen family since February. Um, I don't care how much you may be aware of what the process is that, hey, it's just this is what you have to go through to get to the negotiations. It is overwhelming and and can't imagine what it was like for her to sit there. Um. You know, but that said, this 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 is what needed to happen, because Russia said all along, we are not going to do this in public. It has been crucial to Russia. And I'm saying this, you know, based on all the experts I've spoken to, like Danny Gilbert. Uh, Russia's M.O. is they have to act as though this is all legitimate, that it's a legitimate legal you know, criminal justice system. It's justice, not transactional, when everybody else in the world, any any reasonable person knows it is completely transactional. It operates at the whim of one man and his government. Um, so the u s has said all along, you know from the time it said she's wrongfully detained, you have already said she cannot get justice there. Russia has said, you know, we're not going to do this in in the public. We're going to finish this process now that we're past the sentence. That's where they are. And it was pretty interesting that right away overnight, we, we've already heard from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov uh, immediately engaging about it. And Lavrov said, you know, we are going to continue with the negotiations along the path. I'm, I'm not this is not verbatim, but, um, you know, the path that was established between presidents Biden and Putin for negotiations. Uh, but we're not going to do it in public. And if the US does, that's their issue and, and arguably their problem. So the, the good thing for her is that clearly they're engaged. Russia is not saying we have no interest. What we don't know and may never know is, you know, are, are they operating in good faith? And, you know, is, is no matter what they say publicly, are they actually willing to make a deal that the US can find acceptable?
2: yeah um that that is the million dollar question. Make no mistake, Sergey Lavrov is in absolute close contact either with vladimir putin or or whatever the chain of command is to get to Vladimir Putin so he's not speaking without uh without knowing full well that he is he is speaking for the official. Russian state. Uh, TJ, you, you're not an expert on the State Department. You don't cover the State not Department yet. on a daily basis. Right. But it gets to the point where for this case, obviously, you have had to probably try to figure out how to get sourcing. So how do you do that? How does one who is, generally speaking, had a career first as a baseball writer, then as a, a sports investigative reporter, how does one learn how to navigate getting state department
1: sources um uh, that's a a hell of a question um i mean my my career began as a a news reporter covering municipalities in the south side of chicago and south suburbs and cops courts school boards all that fun stuff um and you have to kind of dip into all these different worlds one thing about my job is that ever since i switched to investigative stuff and oh my god next week next month it's gonna be 20 years Um, Wow. A lot of what I've done is outside the sports realm. So over the years, we have dealt with the White House, State Department, defense, um, you know, transportation sometimes when it's relevant. Um, Well, we we did a major piece for E64 years ago about Vladimir Putin's involvement in the international sport. And we dealt then with people from uh, I don't know if I can say which, but a number of federal agencies um, people in the intelligence community. Um, we dealt a lot with the Russian foreign ministry. Uh, we, we've been trying to interview Vitaly Mudko who was former minister for sport then became deputy prime minister. Um, you know, you you start to dip into these worlds because, you know, it's sports related. Um, the, the biggest thing is, is calling people and saying, who do I need to talk to there? And, so you're just getting new names and and trying to get as many people to return phone calls as you can. Some do, some don't, but I think the biggest thing, like, like on this story, the the single biggest thing going for me as a reporter was that we had done that work four years ago. So it meant that we had a a body of work to show people, Hey, look, we're not complete neophytes on this topic. We may be dilettantes, but we're not, you know, I'm not, like you said, I've not been covering the state department every day for 20 years. Um, But at, at least you're able to reach out to people who you need to talk to and say, we really do have some understanding of this and you have to. So it's, it's relying on the credibility that you've built over the years. And I I think as, as we've continued to cover it, people have seen, okay, they're, they're serious. They're, they're making a real effort. Um, And I think the biggest thing is just to, to go into it with this humility of, I don't know this world. I need people to explain it to me. Um, don't act like anybody owes me anything, but it just ask for help. And if you make that good faith request and it's clear, you're listening and trying to get it right. I mean, it's amazing how many people will call you back. And frankly, I, I think part of it, when you're calling from ESPN, there's a novelty to it. There are people who would never call yeah. back the, um, the New York times, the Washington post who are like, Oh, ESPN. Cool.
2: You have no Ultimately, you won't decide this in terms of how much coverage will appear on air at ESPN or perhaps even in print. But if there is coverage, you will you will certainly be one of the point people doing it. Do you have any sense as to heading forward now how much coverage Brittany Griner will get at your place? I don't want to ask you about like sort of writ large because you can't control what the Washington Post or you know L.A. Times or New York Times does, but. Do you have a sense of what will happen at your place? Because there, TJ, as you know, there probably will be days where nothing ostensibly is happening because we don't know what the negotiations are between the two countries, even though we presume that there are negotiations.
1: Right. It's... um First of all, just a quick thing on that last point, not to get us off track. That one of the things that drives me crazy about the coverage and that and, and in general and that I have to keep reminding myself is we don't know what we don't know. I keep hearing people right. who, who have really good jobs in our industry saying things like, This is the deal on the table. You don't know what the hell the deal is on the table. You know a couple things that the State Department has said and a couple things that have come out of Russia. You and and traditionally in this area, deals can be cut, and you will never know what the terms actually were. There'll be things connected to it that nobody ever puts together. So, you know, humility goes a long way. As far as the coverage of our place, there's a a definite appetite for it. Um, uh, I I get a lot of shows calling me, you know, when they're interested, but it's gonna be driven by a couple of things. One is, it's not likely we're going to hear a, a ton, It's possible um, that we can hear some updates on negotiations. Traditionally, you wouldn't hear a thing until the person's on a plane. That's what happened with Trevor Reed, the former U.S. Marine who had been there since 2019. And he was he was brought home in April in a deal um, from Russia. And nobody knew about it until he was until he was out of Russian airspace. And but this case has been different. Just the fact that Secretary of State Andy Blinken said a week ago, "We made an offer that never happens." So, if if there are things that come out, if there are any stories to react to, uh, I know they're going to jump on it at um, my place. If you know, and that means Sports Center. That means you know, NBA Today has been super engaged um, outside the lines. Has done a lot. But, you know, the places you'd expect. Um, Max Kellerman has has you know done a lot recently um he uh and and by the way he's he's got got a really good grasp of russian dynamics um so it'll happen but it's just gonna be there's gonna be this vacuum for a long time of of, and and people trying to guess so i don't know how much happens in the meantime i mean i'm gonna you know cover it like a beat and uh see what i can't get out of it I, I think what's more likely to happen is there will be things from britney grinder's camp and from the wnba to try to keep the story in the news so that people don't forget um i i would have to think that's most likely you know in the absence of actual news events that's probably what's going to drive coverage
2: before i um i shouldn't say before but prior to interviewing uh Dr. Gilbert and yourself on this podcast I, I tried to read as much as I could and I read a couple of interviews with Trevor Reed and the conditions that he faced when he was being held uh, prisoner in Russia um, and so I really do fear for where Brittany Griner will be But it did get me thinking, TJ, and I don't. Maybe this has happened already. If I missed it, I apologize. But have you put any kind of um, request in for Trevor Reed, who may be one of the few people on Earth who might speak to what Brittany Griner will be facing in the next couple
1: months? I've had communications with his guys, Um, you know, and and I have and I have done a a, you know fair bit of research as well into that, and and that's you know I I don't want to. Delve into speculation, but you know, it, it he says as he speculates. Um, there have been concerns all along about uh, the fact that Brittany Griner is a you know, black American lesbian uh, in a country that you know has you know, notoriously intolerant laws about the LGBTQ community. Um, right it's one thing to be in a, in a Russian jail, um, when you're awaiting trial to be in a prison, you know, which is far more remote. That's where there could be concerns about how is she treated? What does her, you know, what sort of target does her identity put on her in her day-to-day treatment? Um, and I know that's going to be a concern. Uh, it's, you know it's a system it is a brutal penal system and and you know i know there are people out there oh, what about the u.s system yeah it's awful too fine um but, but it's not what russia is um you know at least in a general sense and uh you know i don't know specifically yet where she's going um but trevor reed's story was was pretty harrowing he um you know, his his family said his parents said that he had untreated tuberculosis and that he had been badly injured. Um, he talked about the abuse that he received. Uh, I've spoken to the family of Paul Whelan, the other American who's there right now. He's doing 16 years on an espionage charge, and the you know President Biden said he's trying to get him back too. Um, and his family, you know, they they talk to him frequently um, on the phone. Uh, they're they're allowed to call from there, and they say it's pretty rough. He, he's you know it's it's the things that we read about and you know from schultz and Nitsen growing up um i don't know if it's quite like that but uh yeah it's when you sit and, and sit with the reality of what her life is now even if she's there a relatively short period of time um it, i don't know too many people would want to trade places with her
2: yeah and to like even like sort of joke about how you would do there you're fooling yourself you have no idea what you're talking about this by the way i'll, I'll sort of clarify there is zero parallel to what i'm about to say with what britney Griner is experiencing it is just to sort of give people an indication when i covered the 2008 olympics tj i lost my passport i, I don't think it was pickpocket or stolen. it maybe it was but i honestly think it was more just me the idiot american reporter probably somehow like you know dropping my you know my uh, passport somewhere which obviously you know there are not there's no good country to lose your passport in china would be high on the list of the not good countries to lose your passport in. thankfully sports illustrated back then very flush with money we had fixers who worked with us at the olympics and i um i will always be indebted to um one of our fixers who is a uh a uh, young twenty-something Chinese woman who was great, who took me around the city of Beijing into all the infrastructures uh, to help me get the sort of the documentation I needed to eventually go to the U.S. embassy to sort of present them um, with these documents so that I can get a like a temporary passport to go out. I'll always remember we went to a local police station um, when we were going through this two-day deal to try to. Help me get the documentation I needed. Nobody there spoke English. It was five Chinese cops. They were asking me questions. She had to be the translator. You know, they're walking around me. They got no idea who I am. And so I, you know, that's my only experience in sort of being like like 1% of like what Brittany Griner has to face because I was like, my heart was racing during that. I don't know if these guys are just going to decide like, fuck, let's just fuck with this guy. Like he's in a US journalist, uh journalist, uh what do we care and so you have no idea um how griner is feeling and this leads me into my um sort of it's more it's less of a question tj more no more no but
1: it's look it's it's it, 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 I, it's, it speaks to that the, the sense of helplessness you get and the reality of what an authoritarian state is and you know when when we went yep. to russia four years ago um I mean, we, we, we did our prep and by the way, you should have seen me going through my bags, um, you know, checking every <laughs> prescription medication, anything I had, uh, cause they do fuck with you. And, uh, I, you know, we, we were warned, um, by very credible people. We spoke to, look, they assume that all our journalists are spies because all their journalists are spies and you'll probably be surveilled. Don't try to detect it and don't try to avoid it because they'll treat that as tradecraft and then they'll treat you like a spy um so you're, you're going over there a little paranoid to begin with and again this is this is long before the ukrainian invasion um you know there's they're still you know, not the kind of hostility that we've yep. got it's such a minor thing again I, it's what i love about podcasts is you and i can throw in all these caveats um but you know as i'm leaving the the airport in Moscow to fly through, I'm sorry, in St. Petersburg to fly through Moscow back to New York. Um, I'm in line. I hand them my passport. Woman looks at it, taps on the computer, hands it to me and says, go to there. And she sends me to some desk. And I go over there and I hand them my passport. And they look at it and say, why are you here? And I say, she sent me. And then somebody walks away with it. They come back and no explanation. Hand it back to me. Go back there. I get back in line. Uh, I I get to the front. They tap again. They send me to the security line. I get in the security line. Everybody goes through fine. I get to the front. They pull me out. Stand here. Um, nobody says anything. Then another guy comes over. Come over to here, and I go stand with him for five minutes. Um, and nobody ever explains anything. And I don't know if I was the only American there. Um, nobody ever asked me a question. They just kept moving me and around. And it's Again, it's not this is hardly no one's going to make a movie, you know, based on uh, that experience of, of them just pulling you out of line in an airport. But it's this reminder that in every facet of life, you are at the whim of some person in in Putin's government and the chain of command. They love to screw with Americans. Um, you, you don't know who's watching you. Um and there is no good faith in any day-to-day operations. And so so yep, just you take yep. that fraction of an experience and then expand that to what happens when a prominent American is accused of smuggling drugs into a country over there and becomes a political pawn uh, while there's an act of war going on in Eastern Europe. It, it gives you some perspective.
2: See, I, the reason I'm shaking my head is I literally had a similar experience in Russia. I've been to Russia twice, once um, in 2000, and I'm trying to remember. It well, you, you were there for Sochi, right? With... Uh, no, I was there for Sochi right. in 2014. 2009 was with the Knight Wallace uh, Fellowship where I, I took a year off from Sports Illustrated. I, it, we were, it was the, either the winter of 2008 and 2009. Again, uh, condi- um, relationships between the countries were much better. But Sochi, the same thing. I got pulled out of line once and they took the passport and... Again, this is not even one one millionth of what Brittany Griner is going through. But you like you—you're literally the most important document that you have in that country. Some guard type has just walked away, and you have no idea if and when they are coming back. And you are totally right, TJ. Like literally, like that was what I was thinking. Is like I have literal, literally, no agency here. And I am relying on whoever this person is to come back if Racket. they come back. And so, um, you know, it, it um, I'll be very blunt. I, I, I can guarantee I will never go to Russia or China again for the rest of my life. I do hope obviously one day relations get better where, where, where people do that. But, um, it, 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 it gave me a very, very fraction, uh, insight into Brittany Griner and it gets me to this. And this is something I do want to ask you about. Um, so you're putting out obviously the 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 tweets that um, you're, you're putting out your reporting on Twitter so that people are informed with what's going on in terms of the decision and in terms of what the adjudication now is in Russia. And I got to be honest with you, TJ. I am blo- I was blown away. Again, I, I get it. Twitter is a fucking shit show, and it's you know it is what it is. At many times, but even I was blown away by some of the comments. And these were not bots. These were just regular people who were. Really, like, Brittany Griner got what she deserved. Don't don't commit crimes in another country. I totally understand, like, what the Russians are doing. One, you have absolutely no idea to start with if there was even anything in her luggage. Like, people have... Many people have presumed this. That That's not a smart presumption. We have no idea what was there. As TJ and other reporters who are actually covering this have told you a million times, she has to plead guilty. It's the only way the process... Um, can get going for the two countries to hopefully negotiate some kind of, um, some kind of swap. But I don't know, TJ, I guess I was a little, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but man, was I surprised at how sort of callous people were and maybe in another way, just how believing they were of the Russians. It's,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, but if they believe it, it's so hard to know what, what, you know, it is Twitter is the land of bad faith. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah and and trolling like, and mean, I get yeah, it because you good. see a lot of comments that are not from trolls, but then you are from from bots. But you also see them repeating and reacting to things that pretty obviously are bots. You know, all of a sudden, you know, somebody has an avatar with you know forty numbers after their name, and it was just started in August two thousand twenty-two, and they have three followers, and all of them are porn sites, and they repeat these politically charged talking points it's an accelerator it is you know it is designed to you know there is that is russia's playbook is you know they've got the troll farms that are set up to stoke political division in the west especially the united states uh and it works it's the same people who hacked uh the dnc in 2016 it's the same people who hacked uh the world anti-doping agency um, it is all about, you know, exacerbating existing political tensions in this country and people come to Twitter looking to engage like that. Everything becomes, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's Twitter is traffic. It's everybody shouting and screaming with the windows safely rolled up and, you know, mo- usually tinted windows. Um, you roll all the windows down and let everybody actually meet face to face. They're suddenly a lot brave, but, uh, with the politically charged climate that we're in, you take a figure like Brittany Greiner, who, again, just besides her personal identity, has also been an activist in the League of Activists. Um, she talked about, you know, question whether the national anthem should even be played before, before games, is, you know, immediately categorized by people in this country on one side or the other. And all she, her story becomes is a weapon against the other side. I don't know how many people truly think putin's russia is you know that that's the way you should run a, a criminal justice system but if it reinforces your point that Brittany grinder is bad and she's on the other side then yay putin um that's you know some of them are, I, yeah. I, some of them absolutely are russian bots um and some are accelerated by them but that's that's what twitter's become and i mean i really for the most part i ignore it I hit mute a lot because, frankly, I'd just rather somebody not exist in my world than have the pleasure of saying they got blocked. I'll block stuff that is outwardly racist, misogynist, homophobic, you know, because I don't want that. And there's no place for that in my feet. If somebody's got a political point, all right, whatever. It, it may be distasteful or distastefully made. Um, Personally, that's where I draw the line. But um no, it's so ugly. Just you spend a day like yesterday and see the comments and you just kind of end up hating everybody by the end of it.
2: The uh, by, and by the way, you make a great point And, um, and I, I should have thought about it. You're right. I mean, I might actually be getting played by some bots and you know, that, that they're successful. They're making me sort of angry at the, the situation. So that's a very, uh, that's a very astute point by you. Um, here's the, um, so I have two last ones for you. Um, you previously had given me Danny Gilbert as someone to follow and read when it comes to the situation it was a great, a great, um, a great piece of advice. Obviously, so I'm again I'm curious for for those who want to continue to follow the story, someone who's reporting about this. You, who are you reading on a daily and weekly basis? And at least in the near term, TJ, like has ESPN told you? You are assigned to this. Like, do we should we make the presumption that? over the next course of however many months, this, this will be part of whatever you're reporting. This this is
1: one of those stories where whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, if I'm on vacation in Antarctica, uh, if I'm in the middle of, of heart surgery, which I'm not anticipating, um, the expectation is I will jump off the table and react to any news going on. Um, yeah.
2: Good to know and then in terms of a uh who are you reading who are who are the people that you are reading when it comes to coverage Uh,
1: it's uh, sound like such a cop-out i mean everybody i mean everybody and then i'll go to people contacts that i've made and say what do you think of this what do you think of so-and-so to to gauge what they think about it like i mean you mentioned danny gilbert she's she has been absolutely invaluable um you know just uh, not a coincidence that she's become go-to, I think for a lot of networks on this because of her understanding of the, of the hostage world. Um, but uh, you know, I'll talk to people in the government. I'll talk to people at, at, at think tanks. I'll talk to um, not really, some other journalists, not too many, but now you try to read as much as I can. But the other, the bigger thing I do is uh, I'll do searches in Russian media um, as much as I can uh, with Brittany Grinder's name in Cyrillic, and um then victor Boot. um interesting and thank god for google translate um because that gives you a, a, maybe the best sense of what's going on in russia anything that you're reading in russian media is coming from the russian government so i mean it was it was that just happened that that was how i found out about victor boot back in may was you know searching her name and finding a story from tess uh, the official state news agency that mentioned there had been possible discussions about Victor Boot. That was the first time they floated it publicly. So I've, I've really found that to be invaluable for how they look at it. And it's also sometimes just kind of a kick. You know, when this was a story that was a Russian publication by a guy, from what I could tell a sport, you know, a sports journalist describes her being brought into court in this image of this huge American woman, shackled to this tiny uh and and he used a a diminutive female version of the word prison guard um you know it it was and just see how it plays out culturally over there it's it's pretty wild
2: and it's worth it's really worth noting as i let you go to jen again i always appreciate uh, how long you give me on this i know you've done other interviews um this is all under the larger framework of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and that there are essentially no more independent journalists. I'm talking about Russian journalists in that country right now who are publishing. So anything the Russian people are getting on Brittany Griner is essentially state media, right? It, it is it is whatever ultimately the state wants to disseminate through the state media channels.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, look, before this, there were what we would call independent journalists And it's this this kind of fascinating dynamic in Putin's Russia where he would allow a certain amount of dissent, but only from people who are truly no threat to him. Uh, So they could say, of course, we have dissent here. Yeah, we shoot Boris Nemtsov uh, on a bridge outside the Kremlin. And, uh, you know, Alexei Navalny is, is, you know, in terrible shape in a prison and and Vladimir Karamurza and, you know, all these other figures, but they'll let other people... Traditionally, they have allowed some amount of dissent, but it's basically with the permission of the Kremlin. That changed with the start of the war. There was one independent paper left in Moscow, the Novaya Gazeta, uh, That's right. um, yep. which we, you know, we, we, when we were there, we went to visit and and and, and spoke to them. And it, look, it is, it is it is a harrowing reminder. We're sitting in this in this newsroom in a conference room, interviewing the guy. This was again our story about Putin uh, about what sports meant in his life and talking to the sports editor and a columnist. And behind me on the wall are the six photograph photographs of the six journalists in that paper who had been assassinated since Putin took power. Yep. And, you know, every newspaper has got its trophy case in the lobby. When you walk in, and they've all got the same stuff, awards and memorabilia and old clips. They've also got riot helmet, Kevlar vest. Um, It is, you know, it's such a different environment, and now nobody can do it over there since the war. It's you know it's illegal to call it a war.
2: unbelievable and uh, well worth remembering. Anna uh, Polovskaya uh, was from that newspaper. She, by she the way, was one in, of the
1: photos. Yeah,
2: yeah. Born in born in New York City, by the way. Born an American uh, for people who do I don't anymore. think
1: I know that, but I know she died in the stairwell of a, of a Moscow apartment. Correct.
2: TJ, uh, thank you. For your reporting, thank you for coming on, and um, and I guarantee I will have you back to talk about this topic. I hope one day we can uh, we can talk about uh, Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan coming home, but uh, I, I I think it's going to take some time, unfortunately, uh, as these things uh, as these things often do. But uh, but thanks for coming on to the Sports Media Podcast, and uh, and I will talk to you again soon. Anytime, man. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Dr. Gilbert and TJ Quinn, uh, two really, really bright people, and, and I thank them both for their time. If, um, if you like these kind of conversations, again, this is probably a little bit different a podcast than I've done given the topic, given Dr. Gilbert is obviously not part of the sports media. Uh, but head to our archives. Uh, did an emergency podcast leak with Joe Buck on Vince Scully. That seemed to uh, be received very well. Had Shalise Manzi Young, the Yahoo Sports NFL writer, on the Deshaun Watson case, had chat in as well, doing a lot of media stuff. Ian Dark was on this podcast not too long ago to discuss uh, the news that he is going to call the World's Cup for Fox, uh, a reckoning for Hockey Canada. That was a conversation with Katie Strang, Dan Robeson, and Ian Mendez. So if you like these podcasts and uh, I have heard from you guys who left some reviews and I appreciate it. You know, Hopefully the microphone issues for me are now... Um, fixed uh yeah i i, I don't uh, to be very blunt i don't have like a massive like uh over-the-top podcast studio like some other places have but i think we the great people at Canis 13 and sean cherry have, have figured out sort of what's up or what was up with my mic so i hopefully no no more my voice dropping off and uh, you know let us know in the comment section if it's better this week and if you like this stuff uh please leave us a five-star review and a nice note that essentially is how this podcast will continue that's pretty much uh, pretty much where it leads I want to thank patrick anthony for all his uh hard work thank you of course for listening and uh we'll see you next week on the sports media with richard dutch podcast